your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome to Penn State Week here on Off Tackle Empire. And uh, we've got we've got a lot of hype to discuss. We got a lot of hype, we got a lot of heat. We've come full circle on the weather when we started our off-season preview series. It was about 12 degrees out, and now with the heat index, it's probably about 112. And what better time to talk about the hottest name in the conference that would be Penn State, and of course, James Franklin, who honestly, after last year's result, sort of seems to have receded into the background a little bit. Well, I mean, only because he lost two games by a combined, what, four points? Um, the, yeah, it's easy to get overshadowed by Ohio State because they won the conference, and then Wisconsin uh, won 13 games, but really, Penn State was right there. I mean, they, they they gave up that fourth quarter to Ohio State and then uh, lost to MSU, but you know their only two losses were against teams that won more than 10 games. It's just that they, they expect to be in the national title conversation now for, I don't know, just because, so... Well, yeah, and looking at the rest of their schedule, there were really only a couple other games besides those losses where it was even close. I mean, they had the uh, the challenging game at Iowa uh, in the first month of the season, and then they got more of a fight maybe from Nebraska than you would expect, but the scoreboard in there was much closer than the game was. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, there were the two losses. Then other than that, Penn State really rolled uh, the entire way. And even the bowl game against Washington, yeah, it ended up being a one-score margin, but Penn State was pretty comfortably in control of that game. At least that's my recollection of it. Yeah, well, I mean, you see Ohio State-like scores. Well, Urban Meyer, Ohio State-like scores of 66-3 against Maryland. There's a 35-6 against Rutgers. A 42-13 against Michigan. Yep, so this year Penn State got to be the one that threw the harpoon into the Michigan hype balloon just by dint of getting to play them first. So, um, yeah, it... It has to be. I mean, I don't know how you're dissatisfied with this season as. A if Penn you State expected fan. them to coast to the Big Ten title game and Saquon Barkley to win the Heisman, which well, is okay. actually does describe a pretty good cross section of the Penn State fan base. So yeah, I can see how there's disappointment. Yeah, don't pretend that y'all weren't talking about that stuff last summer. And look, with the success they had in 2016, that's that wasn't an unreasonable thing to expect. I mean, predicting a single player to win the Heisman is never entirely reasonable, but. I have to think they were considered the preseason favorite to win the conference last year, even though it's it's not like they were so much better by such a wide margin that it should have been a surprise that they lost not only one but two games. Um, the difference between them and the other top teams in the conference is really never that much. When did the presumptive preseason Heisman favorite ever actually win it? That, that'd be an interesting case study because... Mm, yeah, never that I can remember. I was just going mean, yeah, putting a lot of expectations on someone to win the Heisman almost guarantees they won't. Yeah, and the thing is, there's been a few occasions recently where the Heisman winner from the previous season comes back, and we all say, oh, well, no, he's never going to win it again, even though, for the most part, those guys have put up statistical years to justify being right back in the race. Like, Lamar Jackson probably could have won it again this year, but he was never going to because his team sucked around him. So And he would have had to, he would have had to blow his previous numbers away. Which like is he, a reasoning that I don't understand. I mean, if your numbers are good enough to win it in one season, why are they not good enough the next season? And sure, you have to consider your numbers relative to the rest of the field and all that. But but you have to consider. Are, but why do you have to consider yourself relative to Heisman numbers? You have to be better than you were when you won the Heisman by a wide margin. I sure I guess. But so in any case, Saquon Barkley had a good enough season. Honestly, he really did. I mean, there were a few individual games where his numbers weren't all that great, but it was a function of you know. 
not that great of an offensive line, defensive schemes zeroing in on him, to their detriment for the most part, because when teams concentrated on Barkley, the rest of the Penn State offense was very much good enough last year to make him pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you look, they had what seems to be a fairly drama-free offseason. Well, they did lose the offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, got his first head coaching opportunity in the SEC, and at Mississippi State, no less, got a difficult place to win, so, you know, via Dios to him. But they promote internally with Ricky Rain, so you can expect probably some continuity. I mean, he'll, he'll likely have his own adjustments to the playbook. It's hard to imagine he's going to have quite the same play-calling panache that Moorhead did, but he's familiar with the, with the personnel and with the system, at least, so you would expect that it should be a pretty smooth transition. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just think that it just kind of prioritize continuity, prioritize kind of running things they're familiar with running, and then maybe uh, you know adapt to what the tastes uh, evolve to. So yeah, this this was a case where if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, it, it would absolutely. be different if they had to fire Moorhead because the offense was a disaster, like they did after the first couple of years of Franklin's uh, tenure with their original offensive coordinator. But because he had great success and left, yeah, why not promote one of his assistants? and see if you can keep it rolling with the new guy in charge. And Trace McSorley, of course, returning. You know, you figure you'd tailor the offense to him as opposed to doing something that completely is the opposite of his skill set, like he's Juice Williams. Or like he's Christian Hackenberg. Um, <laughs> that too. So, and that kind of gets us into the position-by-position review with Trace McSorley coming back. He's, I would think he's probably the preseason favorite to be conference player of the year. Uh, they do lose a good deal around him, but he's your returning starter, senior quarterback. Um, in his third year as a starter, played a little bit as a freshman as well. So he's been around the block. He's by far the most experienced quarterback in the conference, um, aside from Clayton Thorson, who, again, we're not sure is going to be good to go or not. But, yeah, you, you with him coming back, you've got to be in a good position because that's the single most consistent predictor of success from year to year is do you have your quarterback back and was he any good? Yeah, and, you know... Will he be able to be good again? Which you know gets into did you ruin your offense? Uh, <laughs> did the whole line graduate? So yeah, there's there's no reason to expect that Trace McSorley will regress. Yeah, and speaking of the offensive line, a decent but not great group last year when they had some offensive clunkers. It was mostly a product of the line not protecting that well, not opening run lanes for Barkley that well. Um, most of that group does come back, and they have enough collective talent and potential with them that you'd expect with another year of seasoning, they should be pretty good. They should, they at least should not be the weakness of the team the way that they have been last year and kind of the last few years. Um, so they should be pretty good there. No obvious, you know, all-conference NFL draft presumptive, you know, standout type guys, but just a series of solid blocks across the line. Um, where Penn State fans are really going to be excited, though, is going to be seeing the new crop of skill players because it's difficult to lose a series of guys like Barkley and Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Gesicki. But if you're going to lose Chris Godwin as well. Right. Well, he, I thought he was gone the previous year. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, oh, over, for the, sure. over the course of the last yeah, couple of years, kind of right? Like that same just a stream of, yeah. of high level talent going. And if you're going to be losing those kind of guys, it helps to recruit the way James Franklin and staff have because behind Saquon Barkley, there are now actually two backs who are rated higher than he was coming out of high school. That doesn't mean they're going to be better necessarily, but Miles Sanders finally gets his big opportunity uh, for a lead role, and they locked up one of the top players in the incoming class overall in Ricky Slade, who is not the type of player that you get to put a red shirt on him or to have him contribute on special teams. He's going to be involved in their game plan in some capacity. 
Yeah, and when you look, they also pulled in the top-rated wide receiver in the country and Justin Shorter right out of New Jersey. Um, Yet another guy where if we continue adding to this all-Jersey team and say, for example, if they all went to maybe a particular in-state school, um, boy, would they, they would be pretty good. Um, but yeah, once again, Penn State continuing its dominance of in-state recruiting um, in the southeastern portion of uh, Pennsylvania and grabbing Justin Shorter. And they, they add him to a wide receiver group that even without Hamilton... He's going to be pretty good. Um, I, I think Juwan Johnson is a guy who could have a big-time breakout this year. Really a, a huge target who, because of the availability of other targets such as Mike Gesicki, didn't get all that many looks last year. But i got to think that his time would be now to be the number one for this offense. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, probably they're signing people who are compatible with, uh, with trebuchet ball. <laughs> I, will, I, yeah. will never, I will never... Uh, stop referring to Trace McSorley as a human trebuchet. Well, I mean, the Arky gets on, it, there's no better way to describe it, honestly. But so, even if they want to basically use Johnson in the same way they used Mike Gesicki last year and kind of move other guys to those traditional wide receiver spots, they could have, they could basically replicate last year's offense and you know, do a pretty good impression of it. Between the backs they have, Johnson could play the role of Gesicki to an extent. They would need to find kind of that volume receptions guy to replace Hamilton. That's really the guy that I think they don't have a ready-made replacement for. But I guess we'll see. Um, so offensively, yeah, they're losing a number of big-time contributors, big-time talents. But you got to like their ability to replace those guys with what they have on hand. What do you see for them defensively? Well, um, I, I kind of also wanted to see if Trace McSorley would have any interest in basketball just because his pass has the arc of a three-pointer. Um <laughs> So he could be a pretty decent outside shot, but I think even in I think even in college basketball, if he took a five step drop before letting a shot go, they might call that a travel. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to talk too much. We'll call about it. A, we'll, we'll call it a crab dribble. Yeah, and of course, something was mentioned that made you think of Illinois basketball. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Aaron Jordan has to have been standing there for a couple of minutes before he can catch and shoot. I'm probably gonna cut that. So, defensively, they add to a pretty good crop of players that they have. Uh, Micah Parsons, a top five national recruit uh, on, at defensive end. Uh, they're going to be able to put a lot of pressure on the passer. Yeah, and it's not like Parsons has to come in and play you know, all three downs the whole time because they've already got, uh, which, you know, Shane Simmons was, I believe, a, a five-star or borderline five-star recruit. Shaka Tony is an incredible physical specimen, so... They have, particularly at defensive end, some guys that are um, absolutely formidable. They lost a couple of tackles from last year that they're probably going to miss. Um, and at times, they were a little vulnerable up the middle, but not so much so that you'd expect them to take a big step backwards there. And yeah, Parsons is probably not going to be starting right away, but you know this is kind of the nature of defensive line now in the Big Ten. And, you, know, you can see it in the NFL, too, that, that you, know, you need a good like eight or so bodies in a defensive line rotation because you're going to be shuffling people in there because, you know, fresher they are. you got to be able to do as much damage as they can. Yeah, and so having one five-star guy and a couple decent supporting players really isn't enough to have a good defensive line anymore. You've got to you have, can't have them so in there every snap. Yeah, you have to stack them the way that we've seen. I mean, Alabama's done that forever. Clemson's done it for the last few years where they've been on this elite run. Ohio State certainly last year. I looked up... Helpful. I looked up the top because I saw that uh, Parsons was a top five national recruit, but was somehow the number two ranked weak side defensive end in this recruiting class. And I looked up the top ranked weak side defensive ends, and 
of the top seven, three of them have signed with Alabama at just weak side defensive end. Yeah, I mean, that's that to me, and we've mentioned this, I think at some point in the past episode, I couldn't say when or about or what exactly we were talking about, but if there's any particular group that, if I was offered their choice, what do you want your team to be good at year after year after year? What, do, what would you want them to dominate at? Defensive line, no question. Because it, and well, no, I remember we were talking about after the Michigan State Ohio State game last year, and really what that game was all about was just how much better Ohio State's defensive line was than Michigan State's offensive line. And yeah, the Buckeyes outmatched them at every other position too that day, um, after being taken to the woodshed by Iowa for some reason. But it kills your whole playbook when you're when your offensive line's getting mauled. It kind of all you can really do is hope that you can get something going in the passing game, and then of course you're disrupting the passing game because you got pressure in your face. So Unless you've got somebody that can, you got to be able to, to yeah. it really forces you into a narrow set of offensive uh, philosophies that you can even try to use anymore when, you, when you're getting mauled up front like that. And especially if your line is able to stop both pass and run. Because if you can't run, well, you have no choice but to pass. If you can't, if, you have, if the other team knows you're passing, then the pass rush gets all that more effective because the line doesn't have to play to run anymore. And so you, if you're restricted to your passing game, well, now you can't use your intermediate or deep passing game because you don't have time to set those routes up because the pass rush is coming. So so you're going to see a lot of teams just kind of banging their heads into a brick wall against Penn State this year. To an extent, yeah. Like I said, I mean, this is not going to be a group that would be mistaken for, for example, last year's Buckeye squad or the Clemsons or Alabamas of the world because, again, on the interior, they're still really not that great. But the pass rush for those, I mean, if they get in shootouts and the other team has to throw or what have you, then... Yes, this is a defense that's going to have its big play moments, to be sure. Um, and then it kind of brings us to a group that could end up being the weakness of the entire team, which surprisingly for Penn State might be the linebackers. Um, no obvious playmakers here. Now, Cole Farmer is a guy who has kind of played on a part-time basis. He's got incredible athleticism for a linebacker. But, you know, it's not they're not rolling out um, a Michael Maudi or... Um, you know, a, a ham, any of those types of guys. They don't have that guy on this roster. <laughs> yeah, at linebacker, you don't have a lot of depth. Now, in the defensive backfield, we, they also lost a lot on the back end there. Um, Marcus Allen, of course. Yeah, him and uh, Troy Apke, Christian Campbell, those are all starters gone from last year. But this is another area where Penn State's recruiting should serve them well, and they have a former top 10 national recruit in Lamont Wade who... It, you know, it's not really determined for sure yet, I don't believe, but if he's not at least in the mix in the nickel group at corner, I would be very surprised this year. Um, amazing potential on his part. So I would expect him to get into the group. And then um, Amani Oruwarie, I think I'm saying his name right, um, had his moments last year. Had some down moments as well, particularly that Michigan State game. But um, he's going to be, he figures to be your guy at one corner, so you know you at least have something to base your defensive backfield around. So, uh, Mike, you know, we're coming back to Micah Parsons because it's kind of uh, an example of just how Franklin is just about at that next level of national championship caliber recruiting. He's knocking on the door because, as we've said before, to even be eligible for the national championship now, you have to have more than half of your guys be blue chippers. No national title winner has had less than half the roster be blue chips uh, since they started you know, tracking three, four, five-star recruits. Right. So, and we, believe me, we did not bother doing the math to see if Penn State is there yet or not, but they've got to be close. And I believe they were at 41% last year when I looked up uh, Bill Connolly put yeah. it together, So, which means, which was up 
dramatically from the previous yeah. years. So they're 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 knocking on the door. They're right at that threshold. Yeah, because I mean, Bill O'Brien was a decent enough coach, but never really a standout recruiter. And certainly the holdovers from the end of the Paterno era, you would not have seen this type of recruiting either. Decent enough players, don't get me wrong, but um, Franklin has certainly elevated their level there. Now, that's not a guarantee that they're going to contend for national championships, but they've, they're they're in the door, at least. They're, they've got the key. They've got the ticket to get into the party. Yeah, at the end of the Paterno era, those elite players weren't looking to come to Penn State. It's still going to be... Well, that's that may be like the first Big Ten Network commercial that I remember because um, it was I mean it was right around that time you know it's been like it was like you know almost ten years ago now man it was almost ten years ago now uh, and yeah. yeah was that Bill Lynch was the Indiana coach where had are you been, had to have been and they would I think Brewster still would have been the coach at Minnesota like oh god um, uh, and, 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 and of course <laughs> Great commercial. Um, so to, to take a look at what we expect from Penn State this year, though, um, coming back to the present and looking ahead, um, let's give the schedule an eyeball and see what we expect for the Nittany Lions. Opening game is going to be an interesting one that have got Appalachian State. You know, they can be a feisty team. Probably not one that's going to catch Penn State by surprise at home. Well, okay, we're saying that Penn State is sizzling, but Appalachian is hot, hot, hot. Never, ever, ever forget that Appalachian is... Uh, hot three times. So then you have an extremely non-rivalry game in week two. Yeah, they don't even care about this game at all. That's why um, you're probably not going to see Penn State put forward any kind of effort in it, and there's a possibility this game might end up being closer than you think. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, Narduzzi's been okay at Pitt. They took kind of a step backwards last year, and I couldn't name for you more than two or three players on their roster. In fact, I'm not sure I could name any. Cause I think but They beat Miami near the end of the year, didn't they? Well, sure, but that was, I mean, the, the shine was off Miami a little bit at that point. I don't think they were Miami's first loss, at least. I'll put it I, I think they were. Now I gotta know. Yeah, right, now we gotta look at this. I'm almost positive they were. Shit, they were. Yeah, they were Miami's first loss. Pat Narduzzi does still know how to derail, or at the very least, throw a wrench into the gears of a national title hopeful. Sure, and to be fair, Miami then had Clemson the next week, so who knows if they ever would have maintain that perfect season anyway most likely not but okay so maybe that game is a little bit more of a contest than we think but really i mean on paper penn state's got the dramatic talent advantage um it was only two years ago that Pitt beat them so i don't think penn state will take this game too lightly a lot of these guys were on the roster after all penn state beat penn state and Pitt just happened to be who they were playing (laughs) yeah Pitt just happened to be present otherwise they're (laughs) Pitt had nothing to do with it i'm sure and Um, then they've got the team that uh, james franklin will compare every single team to this year in Kent State because every game is just like playing playing Kent State. That's that's what he's that's gonna be the acronym of this year. You know, one of these days one of these Mac teams is gonna rise up and beat him and it's gonna be hysterical because then after that, you know, um, <laughs> I suppose we could just compare every team they're playing to the Temple. <laughs> yes indeed. Sack of the two man rush. So then they start off conference play with a uh, nine o'clock uh, Public execution of the University of Illinois Fighting Illini football program. How are you feeling about that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're probably... Really, the benchmark to compare that to is the uh, 2005 game where we were down 56-3 to at halftime. So, if it's better than that, I guess I'll be happy. I think it's probably going to be better than that. Like probably I mean. will be only because we've got pretty decent talent on the D-line. I mean, 
that's going to be one of those games where it's entirely possible that Penn State fans are just throwing things at their TV when it's only seven to nothing at the you know halfway through the second quarter. Yeah, but they'll pull away and win it comfortably. Sure. Uh, and then after that, you've got the, the big one. The two, yeah, the two most interesting games on the schedule here. Once again, back-to-back games with Ohio State and Michigan State. This time, they're both at home, um, and there's a bye week separating them, but still front-loaded pressure um, to get fit, to be ready for these two games earlier in the season um, than was the case last year. This is not an easy schedule, actually, because they've got a crossover against Wisconsin. They do. So if, you know they're gonna. Wisconsin and Iowa. Which yeah, you always have to. I mean, you always have to earn it, but they're going to especially have to earn it. If they win the East, then there is, you know, there's going to be no question that they're probably the best team, in, that the best team in the league. Yeah, about all that can be said about their schedule is that most of their tougher games are at home. So you look at this, and the five toughest ones on paper would be would be Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and four of those are at home. The yeah, and then you got, but then you Michigan. got soft games on the road, such as Rutgers and Michigan. Um, you know, and then anyway, getting, getting back this Ohio State, Michigan State, right off the bat, like before mid October, you've played both of those teams that you lost to last year. So that, that's going to be a really, really big opportunity for them to either make a statement or show that Urban Meyer just can't be touched. Yeah, that, that there's, and if they're, look, if they're not up to quite up to snuff this year, it's not like it's the end of the world because McSorley is really the only major contributor who is sure to be gone for next year. I mean, they may have a few other NFL draft departures, but a lot of this talent that we've been mentioning, a lot of these, um, a lot of their most talented guys are all too young to go pro anyway. So if they're not quite able to get it done this year, sure, it would be disappointing because you've got your experienced quarterback. Maybe this was a year you kind of built for, but it's not like this team is going to fall off a cliff with McSorley leaving. So so Penn State really should have a huge advantage at Indiana. Uh, then they're at home against Iowa where, like, I've, I'm giving up forever trying to predict Iowa games. I'm done. After the Ohio State game last year, I just... Well, nothing, yeah. nothing that I think apparently applies. Nothing that... If that was at all a trend, maybe... I would agree, but the fact is most of the time against better teams, Iowa loses. Most of the time against inferior teams, Iowa wins. Sometimes you get a completely baffling result, you know, like they'll lose to a MAC team or beat a team like Ohio State that's clearly much better than them. But on paper, that's a game that Penn State should win and win pretty easily. It's at home. Um, they're not going to take Iowa lightly after last year when Iowa made them bleed their own blood. Um, and it's in the middle, like I said, of this, in this, I mean, six, seven-week stretch here from Ohio State through Wisconsin is really where their season's going to be determined. Um, and I guess maybe that's not saying a whole lot because it includes six conference games. So that's half the season that determines the whole season. <laughs> Two-thirds <laughs> of the conference slate. Yeah. Uh, but certainly but really, they, they, got, they got two rotation. They've got two uh, rotations at, you know, real important games back-to-back, one of them with a bye week. But then the other one right. comes with the road game against Michigan, which, you know, yeah, I cracked at them earlier, but... That should be a tough Michigan squad. Um, yeah. They're replacing not all that much outside of quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, if, if Shea Patterson lives up to the hype, then that could be a pretty tough matchup for Penn State because Michigan's defense is um, not really having to replace a whole lot. They're and it, granted, it was not a defense that Penn State had any problems with last year, but it was also probably the single biggest example of using Saquon Barkley's unique abilities to a maximum effect. It was really a big... He was the reason that that game got so out of hand so quickly. Whether that happens again this year with one of the other guys uh, Penn State had, I guess remains to be seen. But I would expect that game to be closer. 
Not only because he's in, by the time November comes around, you would think, finally, maybe, Michigan's $20 million coaching staff will be able to put together a passable, you know, offense. And then you've got a game, a home game against Wisconsin, which, of course, as a Penn State fan, you look and say, yeah, that's Wisconsin. They're, they're pretty beatable. But that's only because you don't take Wisconsin seriously, because you're part of everyone. And they... <laughs> Return virtually everyone, especially on offense, from a team that won 13 games last year. And that that one is one that I, I probably would expect Penn State to lose. Yeah, I think on paper I would like Wisconsin slightly in that. Um, I would probably favor Ohio State to win their game. Maybe there's another loss in here. I think I could see Michigan State beating them. I could see them losing the Michigan game. They're, probably, they're not going to lose every tough game they have, but certainly of those four tough... I see something like 9-3 and three being about the reasonable outcome here i think it's entirely possible they go through those four games and only lose one of them yeah that's that would be what i mean yeah yeah so so then i i would think then that you've got an 11 win team that maybe has a claim to a share of the east crown all right so they're all right we, i'm not entertaining the idea of them beating of them losing to rutgers or maryland at this point no 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 i certainly don't think so although it's worth saying that with a healthy quarterback i think it'll if they have better health at quarterback i guess We'll see what Maryland is capable of being. They, to me, are maybe the biggest wild card in the conference this year. I don't picture them rising up to a sufficient degree to actually pose a threat in the East race, but... We have no idea what they're supposed to look like because their depth chart at quarterback ruined their whole offense. Yeah, so maybe they surprise somebody. And maybe they get better as the season goes on because they'll... I mean, for all intents and purposes, they have a new quarterback, even though both of their guys that figured to be in the starting competition, played a bit last year. It was really just a bit. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Maybe Maryland ends up getting a surprise. Probably not, because that would be senior day. That would be at home. Um, again, most of the games where we see possible trouble for Penn State here are going to be played in Happy Valley. Where the Elite Four. Yeah, so. <laughs> right, so, yeah, we're seeing a contender for the East here this year. Uh, that'll be it. It'll be uh, Penn State or Ohio State. Uh, it kind of depends on... The results of that head-to-head game, and then whether or not the winner uh, trips over their own dick later. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would call it that. There's, like I said, it, I think those are probably the two best teams in the division. But there's not so much of a separation between them and Michigan State or Michigan that it would be unreasonable to expect kind of this, you know, bloody battle royale that we had last year, where teams are kneecapping each other. Um, so those are, yeah, those are the two best teams. But I don't think we're gonna have the reality where they're both. You know, one of them is 12-0 and 0 and the other is 11-1 and 1 with the only loss being to the other at the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the conference is too, and the division in particular, are too tough for that. Uh, and Penn State and Wisconsin both have crossovers, or Penn State and Michigan both have a crossover with Wisconsin. So I think it's going to be a lot messier next year. I think we're going to have multiple teams, tiebreaker scenarios in play, just so that the announce- announcers have something to talk about during the games. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!